All right, turn to Luke 11. Luke chapter 11 in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, if you really want one, you can steal the one that's on your table um, that's yellowish. Luke 11. This morning we are talking about church history, specifically the Civil War era. Yeah. The Civil War era, we're talking this morning about church splits because every single denomination in the Civil War, except for one, uh, split. And so we're talking about church splits this morning. This is a passage that uh, Abraham Lincoln, our good friend, quotes in one of his speeches. So we're going to read Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 14. Are you ready? Are you? Come on. Luke 11, pay attention. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. Mute means that a person can't speak. And so uh, Jesus is driving out a, a demon that was causing this person not to speak. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. Just think about that for a second. Wouldn't you be amazed too? If you knew someone was mute, maybe their whole life, someone prays for them, and then you see them start talking, you'd be amazed too. Verse 15 says, But some of them said, By Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. <clears throat> Verse 17 says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, and this is, this is what we're looking at this morning, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. A house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your father followers drive, drive them out? So then, you will be judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. And then he gives an example. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his spoils. Verse 23 says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Do you see it? Do you see it in the story? The idea of staying together, the idea of the kingdom divided cannot stand. Let's pray. God, we welcome you here. As the Mill Sunday School, Jesus, we just say we want more of you, God. Would you come down? Would you be here today? Would you open our hearts? Would you open our minds to receive more of you, Jesus? Lord, we just want more of you. We are here. We are willing, God. And everybody said, Amen. All right, we're talking about the touchy subject of church splits. Everybody say, church splits. <laughs> and I'm defining it very broadly as uh, a church split. I guess the traditional definition of a church split could go something like this. You're at a church. Uh, one, one uh, somebody, I guess there's tons of examples of why a church could split. Someone decides, I don't like this church anymore. And then they, they're kind of in leadership over the church. They say, let's leave this church and start our own church and split the church. And then some people go with the, this new church, some people stay, and the church splits, right? That's usually how church splits go down. But I'm defining it as even broader than that. And I'm saying anytime some person leaves the church and carries with them a percentage of the church, whether it's a handful, whether it's a small group, I'm considering that a church split. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. Raise your hand if as a child or as an adult you've ever had to leave a church or for any reason, a silly reason, not a silly reason, 
but you have just been a part, or you stayed and you were a part of a church split. Raise them high so everyone can see how big of a deal this is. Do you see how big of a deal this is? The church split. The idea of a church being divided over something, whether it's silly or whether it's justified. A church split is usually a sad thing, don't you think? Yes. All right, we're talking about the church splits that happened in the Civil War, which were very numerous. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, every single denomination except for one was split. Oh, you love that, don't you? (laughs) All right. Have you heard of Abraham Lincoln? Have you heard of his speech called A House Divided Speech? Yes, you have. You've heard of it. You went through fourth grade. I know you do. Uh, he, he gave a speech called The House Divided Speech, and it said that two houses, a, a house that splits, cannot stand. And he gave this speech in 1858, a mere three years before the Civil War started. And speeches really do matter, don't you think? Has anyone listened to a really good speech and, men, and it changed their life? Has anyone? Yeah, that's what, I mean, speeches change people's lives. Has anyone ever took a speech class? Did you hate it? Yeah, me too. I really hated it. Because, uh, you know, I could stand up here and teach Sunday school. And, the, I mean, I get a little nervous. No big deal, right? You're looking at me. But you, you, you're, you're saying he's not nervous. I'm not nervous, right? I'm just chilling, right? But if I was to be in a speech class giving a real, like, 10-minute speech, I would be shaking up here. Like, literally shaking. Like, you would look at my hand, and you're like, man, he's shaking. He's nervous. And so I hate speech classes. But I think speeches are often very powerful. In, in high school, um, there was these two guys running for senior class president. Randy, on the one side, was very popular, my friend. He had a good smile. He had the girlfriend. He was just popular. You know what I'm talking about, right? Mr. Popularity. On the other side, we had uh, Raymond. And Raymond, so it's Randy versus Raymond. You see, you see the humor in that. But Raymond is kind of a nobody. Uh, no one really knew about him. I knew uh, I had a class with him. He was kind of smart. He was a go-getter. He uh, yeah, just kind of... You know, just the average guy that was a go-getter. And Randy relied on his popularity to win the, the student body president. And Randy put up posters at the high school that said, vote for Randy. He likes cheese. <laughs> that was his campaign. I mean, it was something silly, and it, was, it wasn't built. He was just a popular guy, and he could pull that off. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, vote for Randy. He likes cheese. That's pretty funny. And, and people liked Randy. And, and Raymond put up posters that said, vote for Raymond. He's going to change the school or something. Like He's going to put soda machines in the, in, the, uh, in the locker rooms or something crazy like that. And, but speech day came. Here's what I'm telling the story for. Speech day came, and there's Randy versus Raymond, and you listen to both speeches. You're given a piece of paper, and as you leave the gym, you vote for who you're going to vote for. I told Randy before the speeches started earlier that day that, of course, I was going to vote for him. I don't even know who Raymond is. Of course, I'm going to vote for Randy because he's in my class. He's Mr. Popular, right? Randy gives his speech. He tells a few jokes. He says why he likes cheese. I mean, everybody was just rolling and laughing. It was pretty funny. And then Raymond gets up and gives his speech. And what he said, I remember he began his speech with, I don't know too much about cheese. But what I do know about is student body president. And I want to represent you. And this whole speech was just, you're like, wow, I'm a student. I can have some power in my school if he represents me. And he said things like, I will be the best student body president ever. I guarantee you that. I will work my tail off 
to represent you. And he just went on and on about how he really cares about this and he's standing up for it and he's not just a popularity contest, but he's actually going to do something. Do you think Raymond won? Of course he did. It was a landslide victory. I, even though I told Randy that I was going to vote <laughs> for Randy because he liked cheese, I said, oh yeah, I'll vote for you. I, I didn't vote for Randy. I voted for Raymond because I would have felt guilty for voting for a popularity dude that likes cheese. I really, I really was convicted that I need to vote for Raymond because he's actually going to do something. It was a landslide victory, a nobody versus a somebody because of his speech. Pretty cool, don't you think? I think it, was, it was pretty cool to see in high school. And, I, and later that I lied to Randy. He, Randy's like, we need to recount the votes. I mean, I just don't understand it. How could I have lost? Did, did you vote for me, Joe? And I lied to him. I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> Vot, voted for you? I lied. I don't know why. I just did. It was dumb, but I lied. All right. President Abraham Lincoln. Actually, he's not president. In 1858, he gives the speech, the House Divided speech. Uh, Amir, he's running for, um, for senator of Illinois against the Stephen A. Douglas, and he, and he wins. He beats, no, he, he, excuse me, he's running as a Republican. Stephen A. Douglas is running as Democrat for the senator of Illinois. Abraham Lincoln wins. At 5 o'clock, they elect him to be the Republican representative for Senate. At 8 p.m., he gives the House divided speech in front of about 1,000 Republican uh, representatives in the, in the uh, Hall of Representatives. He gives this speech. A House divided takes its, uh, takes its title from the words of Jesus. And even Lincoln's friends, listen to this, even Lincoln's friends believed that the speech was too radical for the occasion. His law partner thought that Lincoln was morally courageous but politically incorrect. And what Lincoln does is he gives a speech about a house divided. Let me read some excerpts. Maybe you'll see, see why this speech is a little radical. Because he tackles the issue head on, the issue of slavery, the issue that the United States is beginning to divide on free and slave and he tackles the issue head on. He says, a house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave, half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved, but I do expect the house to fall. But I do, I, but I do not expect the house to fall. Excuse me. I do expect that it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. Either the opponents of slavery will arrest the further spread of it and place place it where the public mind shall rest in the belief that it is in the course in its ultimate extinction, or the advocates will push it forward till it should become alike, lawful in all states, old as well as new, north as well as south. Do you see Lincoln here? He's tackling the issue head on. He's going, I know that there's an issue in the United States that is huge, that may be uh, about to split the union, which it does. Three years later, it does. He gives the speech um, and then he, of course, loses to Stephen A. Douglas for the Senate. Um, but then, because maybe of this speech, because he took a strong stand, three years later, he runs for president. Does he win? Of course he does. He's on the nickel. No, he's not. He's on the penny, right? <laughs> uh, I better get my facts straight. Of course he wins. And I think it's because he made tough stands, and he said, there's an issue here, and the issue is about keeping our kingdom, keeping our union, keeping the United States the United States, and not allowing it to split. Here's some church, uh, some facts about church splits. Are you seeing on the notes where we're at? Do you like to take notes? Some of you are like, oh yeah, you got to take my notes. You don't have to, but if you are taking notes, we're in the section that says the facts of the church splits uh, during the Civil War. 
Here's some of the facts. Are you ready? Because remember when you turned to your neighbor and said every denomination except for one split? Yeah, that's exactly true. Every, every one but one. Um, <laughs> 1837, 1837, 24 years before the Civil War, the Presbyterian Church splits over the issue of slavery. There's the old school versus the new school. The old school says that slavery is a secular issue that the church should not take a stand on. You know people like this today, right? You, you talk to people and they say, yeah, the church should kind of stay out of politics, right? You know people like that that say things like that. Oh, the church is getting a little too heated in this side or that side. The church should be the church and the government should be the government. It was those kind of people versus the new school people that said slavery is an issue. So we should tackle this as a church head on because it has to do with people and it has to do with their freedom. And the church has something to say about people and the treatment of people and freedom. And so it was the old school versus the new school. And so in 1837, 24 years before the Civil War, the Presbyterian church splits. You see that? You know who the Presbyterians are, right? Pretty big deal in the 1800s, by the way. The mid-1840s, uh, the mid-1840s, the Civil War begins in 1861. So this is still before the Civil War starts, before the South secedes. 1840, both the Baptist and the Methodist Church, which were the nation's largest denominations, split, both over the issue of slavery. Specifically, Methodists split over the idea if a clergyman, if a pastor, could own slaves or not. They split over that issue. Specifically, the Baptist Church split over the issue of could missionaries be slaveholders? They split over those issues. And by the way, the Methodist Church at that time was the largest denomination. Furthermore, listen to this crazy fact. The Methodist Church was the largest organization in the United States other than the federal government itself. Pretty big deal, don't you think? I mean, you think about the Methodists. You realize that New Life Church isn't part of a denomination, right? We are non-denominational. We're not a part of like a huge denomination that's much bigger than ourselves. We are a part of the Light Association of Life-Giving Churches, but that's kind of a loose conglomeration of churches all saying the same thing. Um, we're not part of a denomination. I think that's really, well, you have to realize that because you might look at it and say, oh, denomination, who cares? You know, they're just the denominations. Back then, it was a really big deal, and it was a really big deal that they split. Do you know the denomination that did not split, any of you? It's, they're called the Disciples of Christ. Have you heard of them? You would probably recognize them because they're the group that don't uh, have instruments in church. Everything is a cappella. Have you been to a Disciples of Christ church before? No instruments? I haven't. I think it would be pretty cool <laughs> for a little while. Um, here's what they said. They said, we do not want one stand on the issue of slavery to become a test of fellowship. And they cited Romans 13.1 which I'll just read it for you, it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God. And those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. And so the disciples of Christ Church will, will brag about, hey, we're the only church that didn't split during the Civil War. That's kind of cool. But um, they, they, they just took the stand that slavery shouldn't be an issue that separates them or divides them. But I think in some ways... There are things, there are issues that are worth splitting a church over, and there's issues that are not worth splitting a church over. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. I think a church split should be like the last resort, but there are some things worth splitting a church over, don't you think? Do you think the churches should have been split over the issue of slavery? 
I think so. I think, it's, I think their split was justified, in my personal opinion. John C. Calhoun. Do you, have you heard of his name before? Yeah, you've been in fourth grade. You know. John C. Calhoun, a southern statesman, an ideologist, wrote uh, about 10 years, a decade before the Civil War, and really predicted that the Civil War would happen. He said that the cords that bind the states together, so the ties that bind the state together, uh, are not only many, but various. And he says that the number one cord, the biggest cord that holds all the states together are the churches, the spiritual and ecclesiastical organizations that bind the churches together. And he predicted that if the churches continue to split, then the nation will, will, will soon be next. That because all of these churches are splitting, north-south, uh, the denominations are splitting. I mean, think about it for just a second. The Methodist Church, the largest organization in the United States, splits north and south. That has a lot, of, lot to do with what the nation is going to do, don't you think? Do you see it? How the churches, in some ways, you can argue that the church splits led to the nation splitting. You can argue that. I think some people have. I think that would be a legitimate argument. But church splits are um, kind of an ugly thing, don't you think? I mean, I, was, I, was, I wasn't expecting that many of you to, to say that you've been a part of a church split. But I was, I, were you kind of impressed when you saw how many people's hands went up when you've been, someone's been part of a church split of some sort? And I was a part of, um, a, a, I guess, a, I mean, every church split has their own kind of character, and everybody says, you know, every church split is different, and some of them are really ugly and nasty, and some of them are kind of friendly, but they are still a split. I was a part of one that was kind of a friendly split. I was going to uh, a college called Weber State University. Anybody ever heard of that? Didn't think so. Um, It's in in Ogden, Utah, and uh, I was going there, and you realize that the church in Utah is, is is a funny thing, because 73 plus percent of Utah's population is Mormon. And so you have the Mormons and a very small percent of Christians there, and the churches there seem to be very, very tight-knit. The churches there uh, also know their Bible really well. I mean, how many of you could pick up the Bible and just start explaining the Trinity? Some of you probably could, but if this was a church in Utah, I would, I would guess that almost all of you could say, oh yeah, here's, here's why we believe in the Trinity. Because on a daily basis, you're talking to people that don't believe in a Trinity, and you're uh, maybe witnessing to them, and you need to be able to explain your differences. And so anyways, I was going to this, the college. There was, uh, there, there was a church that um, hired a, sort of a missionary. One of the pastor's friends from Chicago came to the university and started a, a Bible study, started a small group, and it became a pretty sweet uh, ministry, a college um, organization. What am I talking about up here? Like, what's, uh, what's, man, what are the navigators? What do they do? College club? No. I say, I guess it's an organization. I'm sorry to waste your time. Um, a college outreach, maybe, is what I was looking for. Starts a college outreach, and I started going to this college outreach, started going to the weekly meetings, and then, of course, I started going to the church that uh, was affiliated with the college ministry because I liked the college ministry so much, okay? And so I'm going to this church, and uh, the guy, the missionary, I will just call him Brian, came to Utah to be a missionary to the college. And his whole intention, he said, at the end of three years, I'm going to start a church. That's what I'm coming here for. I'm going to do this missionary thing on the college, and then after three years, I'm going to start a church. And that's, that's what was said from the very beginning. So the, so the 
The pastor hires a man. He comes. He has this college ministry. I was there for the last two years going to the college ministry and to the church. And then at the end of the three years, like was talked about, like was expected, he uh, stops doing the college ministry. Someone else comes in uh, from the church. It's actually now a paid position uh, or was a paid position to, to be a college pastor of this church. And then he starts a church about 10 minutes, uh, 10 minute drive away. Do you see it? Do you see the problem that could entail here? Because then I had to choose. Am I going to stay at the church on Sunday morning or am I going to follow my college pastor and go to the church that he is planting? Do you see it? Do you see the problem? I mean, it's a friendly kind of church split where, where the pastor and the missionary, the college missionary dude, were, were friends. And from the very beginning, it was intended that he was going to do this for a while and then start a church. But when it actually happened, it was a painful thing because I had to choose. My friends started choosing, oh, I'm going to stay. Oh, I'm going to go with, with uh, the new church plant. I'm going to stay. And then you're talking to your friends, and then they start pressuring you. Well, you know, you should probably stay because that's the right thing to do. Or, oh, don't you want to support your college pastor? Don't you know him better? Aren't you in leadership with the college ministry? Shouldn't you follow his church? And it, began, it split the church almost right down the middle, split the church. Half went with this new church plant, half stayed. And now, right now, it's been about five years since that happened. The church plant is the, is, the, is the church now, and the church that was that was split is now no longer. It was split, and they had they had uh, they were building a new building, and then once you lose half the congregation, you kind of lose the funding for the new building that you were working on, and so it was it was a sad situation. Don't you think it's a sad situation? I mean, from the upfront, it was talked about, and I think it was it was handled well as far as you know that it, from the beginning, that's what was talked about, but it was just. For me personally, it was hard to be a part of. And during the time of transition, everybody was saying, are you going to stay? Are you going to go? I don't know. I think I'm going to... I ended up going, but then only for a little while because then I moved out here to Colorado and uh, just kind of left it all behind because I was going to school out here. But it's just, it was hard to be a part of that. Do you see it? Do you see the, that the church splits have their reasons, but they're, they're usually hurtful things? And so um, I think that the church split should be like as a last resort, kind of like uh, war. War, there's some things that we need to go to war over, right? There's some things that as Christians, it's okay. It is the right thing to do to defend yourself, to do this or that because of, of a just cause for a just war, right? Any pacifist? I mean, if you're, if you're extreme pacifist, you'd say no. But I think most of us as as Christians would, would just say that, yeah, there is some chance, sometimes when violent actions are necessary to protect, to defend, to et cetera, et cetera. There are reasons to go to war. And next month, by the way, everybody say next month. Next month, the topic here in Sunday school is ethics. And so I hope to explain to you uh, ethical issues uh, specifically about war. We're going to talk about just war theory. Has any of you heard of just war theory? It should, be, it should be really cool. should be interesting time. Maybe a little heated. Maybe not. Maybe it, it should be fun. You guys would be okay with it, right? Just kidding. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, so I think a church split should be the last resort. That there are some times when a church split has to happen, but it should be the last resort. Okay. Everyone say, I'm awake. Are you? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you awake because I'm going to show you a, a, a video. Yes, I am. No, wait. Yeah, let's do the video first. Let's do the video. Yes. 
It's, it's a video clip, and this is the, what, let me set this up first. Um, the video is a clip from Gettysburg. Have you seen the movie Gettysburg? Yes, me too. I'm glad that some people are excited about that movie because you have to be a Civil War buff to kind of enjoy it. And the character, uh, uh, Jeff Daniels, do you know who he is? He's Harry in Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> it, it honestly took me about half of the movie to get over that. <laughs> but I, I, I finally got over that. And uh, this scene helped me do it. So it's gonna, it, for some of you that love Dumb and Dumber, like myself, it might be hard for you to get over the fact that he's being serious, but he is as an actor here. Um, and here's, here's, here's the setup. There's a bunch of deserters. This is the North, okay? You're looking at Jeff Daniels, who's playing um, Chamberlain, Colonel Chamberlain, a Northern uh, colonel that um, is in charge of some men. Some men come marching up, held by some other Northerners, and, and, and they say, these men are deserters. They want out of the war. And so what do you do to deserters, usually, in, like in the time of the Civil War? Well, you, you kill them, is what you usually do. And nowadays, if someone, like if you're in the Army or the Air Force, and you just kind of up and leave, that's called AWOL, what usually happens? They, we don't shoot you anymore, but we put you on trial. You can go to jail for just up and leaving the armed forces, right? Yeah, some of you are like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so this scene is a scene of Jeff Daniels giving the reason to why we are fighting in the Civil War. And as, as churches, churches had to split because of the issues that Jeff Daniels is going to talk about. And so without further ado, let's watch the video clip. It's a good one. They got it. They got it. I'm looking for commanding officer 20th Maine. You found him. That's him, all right. You Chamberlain? Talking with uh, Private Buckland, he's told me about your problem. There's nothing I can do today. We're moving out in a few minutes. We'll be moving all day. I've been ordered to take you in with me. I'm told that uh, 
don't call him, I can shoot you. Well, you know I won't do that. Maybe somebody else will. Uh, here's the uh, situation. The whole Rebel Army is up that road away waiting for us, but this is more time for an argument like this or this. We could surely use these fellows. We're now well below half strength. Whether you fight or not, that's, that's up to you. Whether you come along is, well, you come along. You know who we are, what we're doing here, but you're going to fight alongside us. There's a few things I want you to know. This regiment was formed last summer. In Maine, there were a thousand of us then. There are less than 300 of us now. All of us volunteered to fight for you in the Pacific. Some came mainly because we were bored at home. Thought this looked like it might be fun. Some came because we were exchange masters. Many of us came because it was the right thing to do. And all of us have seen the man die. This is a different time, Bob. If you look back through history, you will see men fighting for slaves, for women, for some other kind of food, to fight for land, power. Because a king leads them, or, or just because they like killing. We are here for something new. This has not happened much in the history of the world. We are an army now to set other men free. America should be free ground. All of us, not divided by a line between slave states and free. All the way. We're here for the Pacific Ocean. No man has to bow. No man born in loyalty. Here we judge you by what you do, not by who you are. Here you can see suffering. Here is the place to build a home. But it's not the land. There's always more men. The idea.
All right. Some of you have a hard time getting over the fact that he played as Harry in Dumb and Dumber. I know you did. Um, and so this movie, of course, is Gettysburg, the largest, biggest, bloodiest battle ever fought on, on uh, American soil. 53,000 Americans were killed at that battle. And uh, the movie's about that battle. By the way, it's rated PG. Does any of you think that's a little weird that like a battle scene can be rated PG? possible. All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to quickly, and you just, you'll have to just jump right into this, um, uh, is, is at your tables with your little buddies. Talk about, um, answer the question. It's on your notes. It says, what are some possible situations, ideas worth splitting a church over or worth leaving a church over? You can use, of course, slavery <laughs> if you want. That's what we're talking about here. But I think there, there, since that's really no longer an issue, um, just, we're just going to spend a minute on this, so brainstorm. That means jump right in and just give a few things that you think are possibilities. On your mark, get set, go. All right, uh, 30 seconds more. Is it a hard question? All right, somebody yell out some things. Gay marriage. Gay marriage. That's a good one. What else do we got? Abortion. Unitarian views. Shutting the Holy Spirit down. Why is there only two guys? Corrupt leadership. Corrupt leadership. You guys are getting mad. Heresy. What else? What is tolerance of sin. Worth leaving a church over. Worth uh, possibly being a part of a church split if some other people are going. Um, are you ready to talk about a hot topic? What did you say? What? What's too far away? Oh, the church? You stop going because you have to drive too far? <laughs> That's, so that, I think that would be, and there's reasons. Every single one of us uh, that has ever left a church to go to another church um, has to choose why. I mean, for me, I moved around a lot because my dad was in the Air Force, and I really didn't have a choice. I had to leave the state or I had to leave the city, and so I had to leave the church. Um, that's a reason for leaving. But I think there's, out of the reasons for really leaving and staying in the same city, of course, there's good reasons, there's just reasons, and there's maybe silly reasons or unjust reasons for leaving a church. I want to share with you very quickly and not make this a huge uh, deal now because next month we are going to talk about ethics 
And my friends, we are going to deal head-on with the issue of homosexuality because it is the issue. I think it was yelled out first. Our friend Bob yelled it out first, gay marriage. is the number one issue right now, if you don't realize this or not, it is the number one issue splitting churches uh, between right and left, between liberal and conservative, evangelical and, and liberal sides. Specifically, the issue is whether or not you're going to ordain or whether or not you're going to allow homosexuals to be in leadership. Because, I mean, let's face it, New Life Church has a lot of homosexuals just coming and visiting us, right? And do we welcome them and do we love them? Yes, we better do that very well. We better welcome them. We better love them because they're people. But when it comes to giving, if someone says, I'm a homosexual, can I serve in, in your church in some capacity? Then I think another decision has to be made. And this is where... Um, this is where churches are splitting all over the United States. Denominations are splitting all over the United States over this issue, whether or not to allow a person that's, that professes, openly says that they're homosexual, whether or not to let them to be either ordained or in leadership in, in some, some way or another. And so we'll talk about this a lot next month, but since we're talking about church splits and it's the number one thing splitting churches right now, we should talk about it. In 1972... The UCC Church, the United Church of Christ. Has anyone ever heard of that denomination? You've, you may have heard it pretty recently because uh, Barack Obama comes from this church. He was baptized in this church, and people want to know the faith of uh, people that are running for president. He, he goes to the UCC Church. The UCC Church is the first mainline denomination to openly ordain a gay minister. And so in 1972, it paved the path for other mainline denominations to ordain homosexual leaders. That's in 1972. And so that church experienced some split between some more conservative or evangelical uh, viewpoints, whole congregations or individual people leaving the church in the 70s because of that. The Episcopalian Church in 2003, that was only, what, four years ago? Yeah. Four years ago, the Episcopalian Church first decided to consecrate their first uh, gay bishop and many churches, whole churches, split off. Many people uh, that disagreed with that split off from that church. And today, uh, in 2007, we have the Episcopal Church USA, and we have something called the Anglican Communion. And the Anglican Communion is the more conservative, uh, and they would disagree with the Episcopalian, uh, the main Episcopalian church's idea to consecrate this gay bishop. And they have, since then, consecrated other gay leaders and gay bishops. The Presbyterians, the PUSA Church, uh, for the third time in 2006, the church law is challenged. And the, the law that is challenged says that, the church law that's challenged says that uh, a leader must either, uh, either live in fidelity within the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman or the chastity of singleness. That, um, that church law was challenged and a proposal was made to replace the, the marriage phrase with a covenanted relationship between two people. That's the Presbyterian Church. The PCUSA Church is, is, is talking about going that way. And I think what they have done, what they are kind of doing now, is giving individual churches, individual, they call them synods, groups of churches, freedom to possibly elect a gay person as their leader. And if you go to Southern California, I know of some churches that are PCUSA and have gay pastors as their leaders. And, and churches... Presbyterian churches are 
in, as a whole thinking, you know, just having to deal with this issue. Are they going to leave the denomination? Are they going to stick with the denomination? And, and, and they're just having to deal with it. Do you see it? The Methodist Church uh, is, is taking the stance of not ordaining homosexuals, but with a continued debate, living with the resultant tension and division amongst their de denomination. The United Methodist Church um, is, is, is saying, we're not going to ordain them, but we're allowing conversation. So it's, don't you think that's a very unstable place to be? Still allowing conversation in all their big United Methodist meetings, that's the, that's the number one hot topic. What are we going to do with this whole issue? Very unstable times to be a United Methodist person. Will the religious conflicts about homosexuality be settled with compromise or schism? It's a pretty big deal, don't you think? And I think different denominations are answering the question in different ways. We at New Life Church, of course, are not part of a bigger denomination, and I, I don't see New Life Church openly ordaining homosexuals anytime soon. Thank goodness. Um, but it's an issue amongst all the big denominations. It's, a, it's an it's extremely, extremely important issue in the United States right now, don't you think? It's splitting churches, and so we need to pray about that. And so next month we'll talk more about that uh, specifically, but uh, I talk about it to say that it is the number one issue, splitting churches right now. So we have 10 minutes left. Has this been a depressing message for you? Yeah, it has. We're talking about church splits. Here are some things. I want to turn it back around and say, here are some things that we can do because we can make a difference in our churches. We don't have to go the route of a church split. Um, I think, in a lot of ways, Colorado Springs needs a miracle from New Life Church, don't you think? I mean, wouldn't it be sweet if our God is bigger than the incident that happened and our God is going to carry us through and we are going to be a huge impact to the city? Don't you think it would be cool if Colorado Springs says, yeah, that's that, that's that church where all that stuff went down, but look at them now. What the heck? I mean, that's a miracle, don't you think? And I think we're experiencing a miracle, and I think we can do things that, that, that even allow God to do an even bigger miracle. Here's what they are. Has any, have any of you read this book, A Tale of Three Kings? Raise your hand. I want to see the hands just because it's an amazing book. Oh, not that many. It's such a cool book. It's, if, you're, if you're writing it down, A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards is the author, Gene Edwards, A Tale of Three Kings. Um, and I first read this book in the midst of me about to leave a church because I was going to um, a, church, a Baptist church, a little Baptist church, and there was no college ministry, and I was in college. Uh, it was my freshman year. And I decided, why not do a little Bible study for college people and see who would come? Turns out that a couple people came, and there was like four or five of us doing this Bible study, and then it started growing, and it was really, really cool. And it was the first time I had ever been in any church leadership um, at all. And so I was leading this Bible study, and it grew to like 30 to 40 people. We were meeting in the basement of this girl's house in Utah, by the way, uh, which was just really sweet. And don't you think that would be cool? I mean, if it, just me leading this Bible study as a freshman, not having any idea what I was doing, but it, it was just really cool. It really put gave me an introduction to ministry, and I think it's where I'm at now because of, that, because of that Bible study. Anyways, I was leading this Bible study. It's going great. It's going good. And then the girl's house who it was meeting at, and by the way, this is the time in my life where I think I told this story last time, 
it was a time when I said I wasn't going to date. <laughs> and so I, t- I was just open. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not dating during this time of my life. There's no reason to date. <laughs> it's silly. And so I pretty openly said that. And of course, guys or girls, if you say you're not going to date, what's the first thing that happens? The opposite sex just figuratively jumps on you. Um, <laughs> they, they really want to date you because you're unattainable. And of course, um, and of course that's what happened to me. This, the girls whose house we were meeting at, one, time, one after one of the Bible study nights, pulls me aside and, and, and pretty much just gives me a five-minute monologue of how much she likes me. And that's serious. <laughs> uh, it happens. Um, she, get, she just goes on and on about you know, making it very clear, I like you. I like you more than a friend. And, and, and going on and on. And I, was, I didn't know what to do. I did not like her. Even if I was going to date, I, this particular girl, I didn't like her. Um, do, you see, do you see the depravity of the, of the, of the scene? Me, guy saying, I, I'm not dating, and then a girl giving me a five-minute monologue about how much she likes me uh, more than a friend. She made that very clear. And I just, I, I didn't deal with the situation very well. I was like, uh, um, well, I, I, I don't feel the same way. I mean, I, I don't even think I said that. I just was kind of like, I just didn't deal with the issue very well. I'll, I'll admit that now. I, I kind of, I, I don't think I led her on, but I didn't really tell her no, and it was just weird. And I really, in the, in the next month, was just, can you imagine, just absolute weirdness. Can you see why it could be a little weird? Um, and, of course, the Bible study is meeting at her house, and I just, I really wanted to stop the Bible study, to have somebody else lead it, and just to move on and get out of the weirdness of the situation. Can you understand why? Are you at least with me because of the, I mean, I could go on and on about how weird it was and how meeting at her house was just weird and how it was weird. Um, and I was meeting every, every two weeks. I was meeting with the, one of the pastors of the church. And I, I didn't tell him at all the situation, uh, but he was a really wise man and I think could, could read into what I was thinking and, and that I was wanting to have somebody else lead the group and for me to move on. And I mean, I was ready to leave the church because I wasn't ready to deal with this, this, this girl that liked me. Have any of you been in the same situation? Nobody? <laughs> you realize how silly I feel telling this story. And, and so I'm talking with, this guy, with the pastor, and the pastor gives me this book. He really doesn't say too much. He says, I've been reading this book. I think it's amazing. Why don't you read this book? And what this book is about is a study in brokenness, a study in having to leave a church. And so let me read you the, the uh, introduction, the preface of this book says this. It's just one paragraph. Gene Edwards, A Tale of Three Kings. When I first penned A Tale of Three Kings, I would have been encouraged to know that it would long live enough to go through two or three printings. I utterly underestimated the number of devastated Christians out there. A far broader audience than I had anticipated has taken up this book. It is an audience made up of Christians damaged by such things as church splits and individual Christian to Christian classics and what Christian to Christian clashes, excuse me. And it is a book, it's about King David and King Saul and how, uh, if I could quickly go talk to you about what this book is about, it's a, an analogy. He says, so you know the story of King Saul and King David, right? Very briefly, uh, God elects King Saul to be king over Israel. Saul starts acting like a clown, doing bad things. God decides, I'm going to elect somebody to replace him. That person is King David. We know King David from uh, David and Goliath, right? 
And so right after David kills Goliath, people like David a lot. They sing songs. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. That makes Saul mad because he's king, and this little kid just killed this giant, and now people are saying he should be king. So what does Saul do? Saul wants to kill David. He wants to run him out of the kingdom, and he does. And so David is out in the woods hiding. Saul goes after him with his men. One night, they're all sleeping, you know, chasing each other around in the wilderness. Saul is sleeping in a cave. What does David do? He goes up to Saul, and he has a spear, I believe a spear in his hand. Does he kill King Saul? No, he doesn't. The story says that he cuts off a piece of his clothing and then runs away, and in the morning holds it up and says, Saul, here's your clothing. I could have killed you in the night. I have a piece of your pants. Um, I could have killed you. I was right there. I could have killed you. I didn't because you are the Lord's anointed. Because you are Lord's anointed, God is going to have to deal with you. And I'm leaving this kingdom. I'm leaving alone. Um, Don't chase me anymore. Um, I'm not raising up a kingdom to overthrow you. I'm letting God do what God is going to do. He does that, right? Pretty cool. And so that's what this book is about. And if I could read just a, a short... It's the whole chapter, but it's, like, it's, this, it's this much right here. It's just a little page. That's how he wrote it. It says, how does, a, how does a person know when it's finally time to leave the Lord's anointed, especially if the Lord's anointed is after the order of King Saul? David never made that decision. The Lord's anointed made it for him. The king's own decree settled the matter. Hunt him down, kill him like a dog. Only then did King David leave. No, he fled. Even then, he never spoke a word or lifted a hand against Saul. And please note this, David did not split the kingdom when he made his departure. He did not take part of the population with him. He left alone, alone, all alone. King Saul never does that. He always takes those who insist on coming along. Yes, people do insist on coming with you, don't they? They are willing to help you found another kingdom. Such men dare never leave alone, but David left alone. You see, the Lord's true anointed can leave alone. There's only one way to leave a kingdom, and that's alone, all alone. Do you see the point? If you're you're ever in in a a situation where you feel you need to leave a church, you have power. You have the power to create a big ruckus. You have the power to create division, to bring people with you, to make a big stink about it as you leave. But that's not how a humble person leaves. That's not how a person says, you know what, even though I disagree with what's going on at this church, there, there is some things that are good going on at this church. And even I'm going to leave, and I'm going to leave all alone. I'm going to leave quietly because there is good happening at the church, but I don't agree with some aspect. And so I'm going to leave, and I'm going to leave all alone. That's how I believe God calls us in our day and age to leave churches. It's a hard message, don't you think? Because if you're in the midst of it, if you're like me, leading that Bible study in, uh, in my college class, I kind of, I just wanted to leave, and I wanted to, to move the Bible study to another house and start another Bible study, um, and, and just leave the Bible study that was at this girl's house there, and just take people with me, and just not deal with the situation with the girl. That's how, and I, after I read this book, I realized I need to deal with the situation, and so me and the girl had uh, a DTR, I guess. Um, but in, in a bad way. I was saying I wasn't interested. And I dealt with it head, head on. And after about a month, the situation fizzled out. Thank goodness. And the Bible study continued for another year. It was a pretty cool time in my life. Um, after reading this book, that's what I decided I had to do. 
Here's some other things. If you decide to stay at a church, and I believe that God usually calls us to stay at a church and not just to leave a church for some silly reason. There are just reasons for leaving a church, but I think, I think it should be a last resort. Here's what, uh, here's, here's what I have. I have three points. What time is it? Okay, it's just about time to go. Let me read these three points. Um, lead. If you're coming to a church and there's a time when you come to a church and you start saying things like, I'm not getting fed here anymore. Have you heard people say that? Have you said it yourself? I remember saying it myself as I started studying the Bible more and more on my own. I realized I'm not getting fed here at church. And once you hear yourself saying that or someone saying that, here's what you need to do. You need to stop coming to church to get fed and you need to start coming to church to feed other people, to be a leader. And so that's point number one. Point number two, I think tithing is extremely important. If you don't know what tithing is, tithing is giving money to church. Um, Tithing specifically means a tenth of what you make. That's a lot of money for some of us. That's a whole lot of money for some of us that that maybe don't make that much and need that money. But I think it's an act of faith. And God, throughout the Old Testament, God says, give a tenth of everything you have. In the New Testament, does he say give a tenth? No, in the New Testament, there's passages that say, give everything to God, give everything to the church. And I don't think that I'm not arguing for a communistic sort of uh, living, but I think God requires us to give ourselves to the church. And that's financially. That's in the first point of leading and giving of ourselves. And the third point is to reach out, to give salvation to those that don't have it. I heard someone say that the church is the only organization that exists for its non-members. The church is the only organization that exists for its non-members. Don't you think that we should live like that? Live like that's true. And that's what last, last week's sermon where you hear when Ross talked about the thorn, how we need to bring people, how we need to invite people. That's doggone right. I'm inviting people to the thorn. I think as Christians, it's the perfect opportunity to, to say, hey, why don't you just come to this play? And they come to the play, and it's the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel. How, how cool would that be? Because we can make a difference. Do you want me to read a story for you? To end with a story. I know you do. I know you've heard this story before. Here it is. And, and get past the fact that you've already heard the story. Once upon a time, there was a wise man who used to go to the ocean to do his writing. He had a habit of walking the beach before he began his work. One day, as he was walking along the shore, he, took, he looked down the beach and saw a human figure moving like a dancer. He smiled to himself at the thought that someone would, would wake up and dance by the ocean, and so he walked faster to catch up. As he got closer, he noticed that the figure was of a young man and that what he was doing was not dancing at all. The young man was reaching down to the shore, picking up small objects and throwing them into the ocean. He came closer still and called out, Good morning. May I ask what it is you are doing? The young man paused, looked up, and replied, Throwing starfish into the ocean. I must ask then, Why are you throwing starfish into the ocean? Asked the somewhat startled, wiser man. To this the young man replied, The sun is up and the tide is going out. If I don't throw them in, they'll die. Upon hearing this, the wise man commented, But young man, you do not realize that there are miles and miles of beach, and the starfish are all along every mile. You can't possibly make a difference. At this, the young man bent down, picked up another starfish, threw it into the ocean. As it met the water, he said, It made a difference for that one. Let's pray. God, 
We just come to you as your servants. Would you use us, Jesus? Would you use us, Lord? Holy Spirit, come into us and use us to make a difference. Maybe not an earth-shattering difference like you made on the cross, something that we could boast about, but a difference in Colorado Springs, a difference in New Life Church, a difference in the Mill Sunday School, a difference at the Mill. Lord, would you use us as your servants? Would you use us to bring unity and not division? Lord Jesus, we just pray this in your name, and we leave here thanking you and glorifying you. And everybody said, Amen.